you're tuning in to the Welcome to Motherhood podcast. I'm your host, Natasha Sattle. Today, I am going to go into something super topical right now, and it's the topic of racism, and more importantly, what you can do in your own home as a mum to your children to try and change things going forward. Let's get into it. Today, I am approaching a topic that's a little offbeat from my normal topics, but in light of everything going on at the world at the moment is it's just a given basically that I change the schedule change the programming change my topic plans and dive into racism basically for want of a better intro um it is what it is I am watching what's going on in the world with regards to um there's different protesting different movements you know there's different things that we're seeing on social media or on television with regards to what's happening and what has happened since the death of George Floyd by police, um, and also basically how the world has stood up and gone, this is not okay, and we want to stand up and actually put our voices out there and do something about it. I guess I'm kind of torn with regards to where this is at. I'm not torn. I mean, I totally agree with the movement and everything that's happening. Obviously, I'm. It's sad to see the looting and everything else going on, but it's it's all part of the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is people are out there and people are angry at what has happened and what's been happening for so long. It's just starting to be filmed a bit more. Let's face it, this isn't the first. I'm not going to go into too much depth about what's happening in the United States um, as purely because that's not where I live and that's not where I'm bringing up my children and where I'm doing my mothering. Um, it's horrendous what's happening over there and I really hope some change can happen but I need to look closer to home and I need to focus on what's happening here in Australia and also in New Zealand where I'm from as well. There have been um, peaceful protests those of you probably know um, what's happened around Australia there's been things I mean basically worldwide also in New Zealand. A bit of background and where I kind of what I wanted to talk about again this is all very non-scripted it's just me with a microphone in my house giving you an insight into my feelings and where I kind of sit on this. I am for those of you who haven't seen a photo of me um I am a basically I'm a white woman I am a New Zealander a Pakeha I am I don't have any kind of you know different brown blood as such inside me so I am coming from this as a white mother in the world but I am married to a Samoan man and my children obviously then are also half Samoan so they are living as you know mixed race children I have I've always been really big on culture and I have family or friends that have become family that come from many different races, um, namely a lot of Māori family and a lot of Samoan family, um, both on my side and, ma- and that I've married into. So for me, culture and being a part of different cultures and you know living and loving people of different cultures is the norm. I don't, I don't think. I mean, I know people of different cultures. I know people of different nationalities, but it doesn't change how I feel and the people I choose to interact with and be friends with and love and care for and so forth doesn't matter to me what nationality they are when my oldest daughter was she must have been about two years old probably one and a half years old so she's nearly 15 so we're talking a while back now I chose to enroll her in a full immersion um Samoan daycare and I'm talking they they didn't speak English oh the teachers could converse with me they could speak English um and but the the daycare model was that they would speak all Samoan for the children to basically learn their culture, learn their language, 
and be a part of that process all day when they were at daycare. I loved this. I put my daughter in there and she thrived. She grew. She was speaking um, fluently as, as, as fluently as a preschooler does, but she was speaking fluent Samoan and she did that completely up until she was five and started school. So she had about, about three and a half years of full immersion Samoan daycare. I had a friend at the time um, who actually said to me when my daughter was about three, she said, oh, is it is it time to pull her out now? And I said, oh, what do you mean? And she said, oh, well, you don't want her having to keep learning that language. She should be in an English daycare. She, otherwise, she's not going to be very clever if she only speaks if she only speaks um, one language and it's Samoan. I said, she doesn't speak one language. She speaks English and she also speaks Samoan. And I remember clearly this conversation and my friend at the time said, oh, that's weird. She'll do so much better if she's with, with more English kids. I don't remember what my face did at the time. I couldn't think of words to say. And I mean, now looking back, I can think, you know, fast forward, we're 12 years down the track. I can think of a whole lot of witty responses or rude responses or angry responses or, you know, a million things I would have said. But I remember at the time just thinking, I don't know what to say to that. And I I don't recall my response, but I feel like it was pretty much probably an awkward smile and a change of the conversation. But I remember it stuck with me and I remember that it boiled up on me like for years and years to come thinking, how dare they comment and how does she know, you know, what my daughter's going to take from this? And has she read the research about learning multiple languages when you're a preschooler and enhances the brain capacity to learn languages later in life? And I remember stewing on it for years thinking, she's so rude. And then I kind of took a step back, probably only even about five years ago, and I thought of the person who actually said the comment to me and thought, this person comes from an absolute case of a growth of a family of, of basically white privilege. Um, she was, you know, in a white New Zealand English family. They were quite wealthy. They were all, you know, doing well. They didn't, I don't even recall her having any friends of color to be honest um and I remember thinking back then and thinking as a you know going through being a teenager and being friends with this person thinking I actually remember then her parents being angry if you know any of their family had a partner that was brown or not telling the parents if they had a partner that was brown and it was just this kind of whole place of probably for want of a better word systemic racism and for her she's now growing into an adult who thinks it's a terrible thing to want to learn your culture and learn you know a Pacific Island language and that story just stuck with me because I remember thinking not then I realized that not everyone will make the same parenting choices as me and that's okay but I am parenting someone children and it's super important for me for them to know their culture speak the language and be completely immersed in what is a massive part of them and my husband and my family I I guess for me, um, it's often hard to find the words to say what I want to say say correctly. I am. I would consider myself very not racist, shall we say? But I know that I I I have grown up in a you know a white middle class New Zealand family. I have been blessed with the fact that I have, like I mentioned before, family and friends and, you know, my partner and all these people that have exposed me to all these different cultures that I think are amazing. And I've taken that into my in my work as a midwife. I have, I remember, you know, when I was, and it was a student midwife in New Zealand, 
working with you know amazing amazing women of all different nationalities and a lot of women that I looked after and worked with were you know Maori or Pacific Island and learn making a really you know concerted effort to learn about the birthing practices to learn about what was important to them you know different ways of making birth and parenting and even the pregnancy journey is very different because a lot of cultures have a lot of different whether it's an old wives tale or a superstition or a belief or just things that they find super important. And I could have easily ignored all of that and just carried on with my way. I'm a midwife. This is the medical way. This is the way we do it. But it was never, that was never kind of how I was ever going to play things. I've always been really, I found it really important to incorporate all those different, um, different ways and different things that are important to that mother or mother to be into their care. And that should go for anyone. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. You'll have things that are important to you as far as your, you know, your parenting or your pregnancy or birth journey. And and everyone should be taking into account what those things are for you. When I come back to the state of the nation here in Australia, I have talked. If you've listened to other um, any other of my podcast episodes, especially around the postnatal depression, um, and that's a, a topic I'm massive on and I am always always going on about it but I still think it's not talked about enough so I will continue to go on about it but one of the things I talked about in one of my episodes on there is the rate of um, the rate of postnatal depression reported in Indigenous and Māori and Pacific Island um, in, in their cultures and nationalities is quite low considering what's actually going on with regards to the rate they're at increased risk of a lot of things. There's all these things going on and we're looking at the stats for things like sudden infant death or cot death, um, as you may know it, you know, maternal deaths in childbirth, um, rates of smoking, you know, rates of babies being born into poverty, um, rates of child abuse. And the stats are always more heavily swayed that the the risks and the stats with regards to those indigenous cultures are higher so what are we doing wrong to miss trying to reduce that to trying to engage with people trying to make those stats not not so high to bring them down to actually make put those those stats and those figures in a line with any woman having a baby or any child being born there shouldn't be such a massive disparity And when you look at all those things, you have to take it back to the fact that there is these underlying systemic racism and systemic disparity and inequalities. And these things go back years. Like these things go back to colonization. These things, we're not going to pretend that it's only over the last five years or since a certain incident happened or someone said something or it's, it's not about that. We're trying to go back and look at righting wrongs that have happened ever since you know, both New Zealand and Australia have been, you know, taken over by British rule and they have been colonised. And in both countries, the people that were already there, you know, the Indigenous people of the land, whether the Māori or here in Australia, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people were both basically, um, you all know the stories, you're all going to be listening and knowing what I'm talking about, but they were basically just things were taken from them in ways that were not... Um, lawful were not um, often truthful and they were basically duped out of their land and everything that was theirs and this has been going on that's like you know history 101 in five seconds according to Tash but both of those things you have to look now and think we're here in 2020 and there are still massive disparities in statistics with regards to the indigenous people of both Australia and New Zealand and where 
for want of, again, a better word, the white people of both countries sit. And what are we doing? Like, how do we fix it? I mean, I don't know how to fix it. Absolutely, I have no idea how to fix it. I know we can be doing a lot. Um, I watched this amazing interview panel last night on TV and for those of you in Australia might have seen Q&A. It's one of my favourite programs, actually. It's just so real and raw. And I watched two amazing um, Aboriginal speakers on the on the panel. There was five people on the panel and two of them were Aboriginal. And I watched a man and one of the men on the panel he was just so angry and not angry in a in a violent, angry way. So angry from a place of such deep, raw emotion and hurt about the fact that there's so much, so well, so much we can be doing and so many people saying, what can we do? It's a long road. But we need to go back to people and elders and people in positions in the Indigenous cultures and say, what do we need to do now? And actually take advice from people who actually might be able to help us. I recall a story about an Indigenous Affairs um, member of parliament being, you know, put in power and put in place to look over Indigenous affairs, and it was a white middle-aged Australian man. Like, I'm sorry, but to me that screams, what? (laughs) What on earth? Again, I'm going to get my political rant. But to take it back to motherhood, um, for those of you who are listening in here thinking, where is she going with this? What is she doing with regards to motherhood? I think that for us as mums, and majority of my the people who are listening to my podcast are always mums-to-be um, or new mums, we need to think, what can we do? We can't change the world. We can't go out there and introduce something that is going to right all these wrongs and decrease the rates of you know maternal death and childbirth and decrease the rates of child abuse and smoking and sudden infant death and stillbirth. Like stillbirth's one, again, that's, the rates are so much higher in these indigenous cultures and the lack of antenatal care like we can't fix all of those things by just you know waving a wand thinking of an idea and going out there and smashing it out and we fixed it but we need to look inside our own homes and think what can we do from our homes and what can we do as mothers and for our children children aren't born racist no baby is born and thinks you know as when they're two or three just all of a sudden starts only making white friends or making snide remarks to anyone of colour or anyone who's moved over from an Asian country or, you know, that just doesn't happen. Children basically copy, replicate or behave based on what they've been exposed to, what they have been told, what they have overheard. And again, you will know that children listen. There is many a time that you've maybe have slipped out a swear word and your little two-year-old says it the next day. Children listen to everything, even if they're not supposed to be or not meant to be. Um, they take things in that you can't undo. As mothers, we need to be so mindful about making sure that the messages we are sending across to our children are messages of inclusivity, of, you know, the fact that, you know, any nationalities and culture is one to be embraced and welcomed. And if people have relocated to this country, we welcome them. You know, they are part now, they've chosen to live here. How awesome is that? They've chosen to live in the country we live in. I know myself, I, I moved from New Zealand and I chose to live here in Australia. And I've lived here in Australia now for about seven and a half years. I have, I have, you know, like I've said before, I'm a white woman who's come from New Zealand. I don't really get, I get, I've had the odd comment, you know, jokey comment about you're all you Kiwis coming here. 
But I've heard a million comments about someone who may have moved from Thailand or Japan or Iran or, you know, another country that might have moved here longer than me ago, but it's, oh, they're refugees, you know, they've come over here. I always think it's ironic that when, you know, fair-skinned Europeans move around the country, move around the world, they're called expats, and we're like, yay, they're just an expat, you know, Aussie expat living, you know, overseas, that's wonderful, whereas often people of a different race, it's, oh, the refugees or they're, you know, immigrants or, you know, it just it's just the wording, it's terminology, and it all comes back to what are we saying in front of our children. It is not also, though, it's not just what we're saying, it's what we're potentially not saying and what we're doing or not doing. If you don't have people in your life that are friends or colleagues or loved ones that come from different races and different nationalities, and you are surrounded by people of a similar or the same race to you, I'm not saying you're racist, not at all, but you're missing out on actually getting to know and getting to meet and learn and grow from people of different nationalities. You're also having that the image then becomes also your children see that the people that you associate with and love and care for and work with are also all people from the same background. It's kind of an underlying message without even trying to be. It's still putting the message out there that these are the people we associate with. And I, I thought about that a few years ago. I remember reading it in a book with regards to the people we associate with other people that were then, you know, that's our circle. That's how we grow as people. And I thought, holy moly, that's also exactly what our children think is the normal your normal circle or the normal people that, you know, you should be associating with. I'm not saying this and you all should get off and go on Facebook and find a person of, you know, every different race and nationality and try and be friends with them and have them for coffee. But I'm just saying you need to be mindful of being being a, um, a role model for your children about the fact that you have this diversity is awesome and it's embraced and it's something that, you know, they see from day one. And children see colour. And I've seen lots of photos and memes about children don't see color, they see a boy and a girl and so forth. Children see color because a child knows when a person has a different color skin or different color eyes or different color hair. Children don't see color though as something to be made different or lesser or, you know, ostracized. They just see differences in people the same way they see that girl's got blonde hair, that girl's got red hair, that girl's got brown hair. We in society and parents and media and TV and all of those things we expose them to, that's what highlights that people are different nationalities are different or it just puts a more of a negative slant on it often. Not always, but but often. So children just see color as a whole, as like a big pool of people and friends and people that you can potentially love and bond with and be a part of. So again, I get off on tangents. This is something I'm super passionate about. We need to be making sure also, when I said before, it's about the things we are doing and not doing and saying and not saying. When I talked about things that we're not saying, that's talking about the fact that we need to be vocal. When I know recently um, my children, my older two, so they're you know 12 and 14 at the moment, so they're old enough to understand what's going on in the world and be exposed to discussions about it at high school and things like that. But I know I was watching um, some news footage the other day and it was about the like the protests in America and what has happened and, you know, the stats with regards to that. And so my daughter said to me, my 12-year-old said, you know, wanted to start a conversation. So she was talking about 
what's happened in America and, you know, how did George Floyd pass away and what was going to happen and what were the repercussions? And we just kind of opened this big open conversation. And I said, I told her, I said, you know, currently the stats in Australia are, I might be a couple off, but I'm pretty sure it's about 432 people, Indigenous people, have been killed in police custody since 1991 and no one has ever been charged for any of those deaths. And so I opened that conversation. I told her how upsetting it is to me. You know, I got that conversation and that dialogue open so she can talk back to me about how she feels about it and what we what could be happening. And you, the conversations you aren't having if I just didn't talk about what was on TV I closed it down I moved on you know I changed the channel and so forth by choosing to not have the conversation I'm choosing not to address it I'm choosing not to put my hand up to my 12 year old and say whoa this is not right what's happening in the world we need to fix this you know what are we going to do all of those things we need to be having conversations because by not talking about it we're almost we're we're putting it under the rug basically and our children watch that and they think well we don't need to talk about it or we don't need to be concerned because no one in my house is talking about this and what we're supposed to do my same 12 year old is very um she's very sensitive she's very in tune to what's going on in the world and she's very much a child that wants to fix things and wants to make things right and doesn't understand how people can be so awful to one another basically and when we I want to say she would have been, I'd say she would have been probably eight or nine years old and she went to school here in Australia and the teacher started talking about Captain Cook discovering um, discovering Australia. And it was the first exposure she'd had to Australian, basically an Australian history lesson really. And she came home and told me, and I always remember her telling me, she, the teacher started talking about Captain Cook discovered Australia. And my little, you know, eight or nine-year-old at the time put her hand up and the teacher said to her, you know, yes, you know, what's your question? And she said out of the mouths of babes, how can Captain Cook discover a country that's already got people that live in it and own it and run the land? And it was already a country with, you know, Aboriginal people. And her teacher said, kind of went a bit quiet and said, yes, but, you know, Captain Cook discovered the land and we're going to learn more about that later. And she said, but that doesn't make sense. The land wasn't here to be discovered. He was just coming to land that was already owned and discovered and lived on. He didn't discover the land. And the teacher, I don't know if they knew how to, she was only new to the school at the time. And I don't think the teacher knew how to address it or what to say. And he, lovely teacher, but obviously probably found it very awkward and uncomfortable, then kind of went on to carry on with the lesson and move the topic. And she told me when she got home and she was like, can you explain this to me? And we had a big conversation about exactly what her thoughts were, how I agreed with her. And we never shied away and said, oh, don't say that to the teacher. You know, just learn the lesson. You know, just do what you need to. Don't worry about it. We were very open about the fact that fair call. You can question those things. That is a, it is an awful history here in Australia that the more I learn about it, the more it breaks my heart. And the fact that someone was still going to stand in front of a class and say Captain Cook discovered Australia when it already had, you know, Aboriginal owners of the land she put her hand up and said something and I was so proud and that would have taken guts I think she was literally maybe a month into a new school as well and that those conversations come and that bravery comes from a place of complete innocence and she was questioning something that she knew wasn't right and she was not afraid to put her hand up and stand up for the, what she believed and that is what comes from being exposed her whole life to basically when I mean, she also went to um Samoan Pacific Island daycare for the first few years of her life as well. It just comes from being exposed to 
there is to people of different nationalities a different culture and there's histories and some of those histories are absolutely awful but you can question it you don't have to accept what you hear you can question it you can be brave and you can stand up to anything that you might think is racist anything that you might think is a a statement or an action that is causing harm on you know people that you don't you don't think is right we we kind of have to take a step back often and look at what's happening and look at what's happened and look at all the things going around and there's often so many millions or billions of dollars in you know government funding and things trying to put into different initiatives to you know whether I know in Australia here we have you know closing the gap and trying to do all these initiatives to with regards to you know the Aboriginal people and what we can do to make things better or you know decrease the get rid of the disparity in stats and you know healthcare and income and you know child deaths and things like that there's so much money being thrown into it but it's not changing much so we're obviously focusing on the wrong things and we potentially, like I said before, we need to be talking to the people who are actually able to give us the insight, give us the ideas and actually do something that will make a difference. Um, I need to get off my political soapbox again, I know. I feel like as as mothers, we need to be so mindful of everything we say and do or do and not or don't do, like I said before. We need to try and work out what we can do in our own families with regards to being that pillar and being that open voice and that communication tool and raising our children to question the status quo and raising our children to know that people of different colors, nationalities, religious beliefs, you know, sexual orientations, any of that thing, people are people and exposing yourself and your family to having, like I said before, loved ones and friends and colleagues and conversations and you know all of that kind of thing with people from all different cultures is is a first step in your family um I again like I said this is a totally off script no notes you know episode just with me getting passionate um about something that is just so topical at the moment and if I can get you to walk away with anything from listening to my ramblings um you'll hear my passion in my voice though um is we need to be supportive of finding of supporting change and finding ways to actually move forward. It doesn't matter what color your skin is or what you know what your what your um, cultural beliefs are or nationality is or the country you live. It doesn't matter any of those things. If you're passionate about something and you want to make a change, put your hand up and offer to help. Put your hand up and offer to be a part of, you know, whether it's a study or some research or some uh, volunteer group or, you know, a, just discussions or just something. Doing something is better than doing nothing and making you yourself as an example to your children that you will stand up and fight for what you're passionate about, even if it doesn't affect you. If you are listening to this and you, like myself, are, you know, a white woman living here in Australia, potentially, or New Zealand, or, you know, United Kingdom or America, this is relevant across the world. Um, racism isn't just one country, in one country. It's it's across the world. You all know that. You'll, it'll, you'll be surrounded by it where you live as well. But you, as a, I mean, I know for me, I I have white privilege. I don't I don't, I don't, I don't want it, for want a better word. I wish things were more equal, but. It is the way I don't have to worry about, you know, being in a shop and someone looking at me twice because they think I'm stealing something or, 
you know, just, I mean, that's just a little example, but it is, it is what it is, but I need to almost be using my, you know, whether it's my white privilege or my voice or what it is, just put my hand up and say, you know, I'm, I want to be involved in the change and I want to do little things and everything starts at home. And that might sound cliche or cheesy, but everything starts at home. And the first thing I can do, and it's something I have always done for my family and I will be passionately doing and for the rest of my days is I, I want to raise my children and I am raising my children to see people of different colors, nationalities, ethnicities, religious beliefs, sexual orientation as people. There is, there is no difference in who they can and can't be friends with. There is no difference with who they can and can't, you know, fall in love with when they're old enough to do so. Um, but it, it starts at home and we have little children and we are trying to mold little lives to ensure that if we can't change our generation, we need to be able to change the next. And that is what we have power over. As mothers, we are completely in control of what we expose our children to. Of course, there's social media, TV and school friends and so forth that also, you know, have a bit of input, but you are still going to be the strongest guiding force with your children from the time they're born until they until they leave your home, basically. So look inside and do something. There's a whole lot of things I've mentioned in here. There might be other things that you've thought of too, but I just I just think if we all do that and we focus on mothering in a way that we get rid of this, you know, this this racism, this under, all the undertones, the jokes, the jokes aren't funny, the memes aren't funny, anything to do with racism and putting another race or culture down will never be funny. So we just need to be mindful about making those steps and starting something at home. And then we can make progress into the future. I don't know how. I'm not the right. I'm not going to change the world. I mean, it's not. It's not my job to. The people that know, and people who come from these indigenous backgrounds, there is such a wealth of knowledge. These amazing, amazing speakers, and you know, people in positions of power and elders that have the knowledge and have the ideas as to how they think things could work, and we could try and make movements and what needs to be done. We need to listen to those people. We need to take into take into account what they're saying, and we need to move forward and try and do something. But in the meantime, at least start your journey at home, and at least start by being that model and that role model for your children. Thanks for tuning to in to this episode of the Welcome to Motherhood podcast. Be sure to subscribe to be alerted when each new episode hits the airwaves. I hope you enjoyed it and can walk away with a few key take home messages to help you make your motherhood journey that little bit easier. See you next time.